I was awoken at 3 o'clock this morning. And you know you have a plan, what you want to do. And you see that plan. The plan's coming in your hand right now. But plans change. I am not responsible for what's going to happen next. I want you to be prayerful because I don't know you. I don't know any of your problems. I don't know any of your struggles. But there is a God in heaven who is seeking to prepare people to see him. And I tell you what, friends, meetings like this won't go on forever. Meetings like this will not be available to us forever. And as we have this opportunity to press together, as we have this opportunity to hear the word of God, I say to you, friends, let's not waste one moment. If you don't mind, can I get one of those handouts? Thank you, brother. Before we begin, I'm just going to petition the throne of God once more. Because I need a lot of help. need a lot of help. Let's pray together. Dear Father in heaven, your word declares where two or three are gathered together that you would be in the midst of us. And Father, the question is, do we really believe that? For there are more than two or three gathered here, Lord. Your word declares, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it will be given. And Father, now we need wisdom. Your word declares, if, if, if we confess our sins, that you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And Father, we need cleansing. We need cleansing, Lord. Open our ears that we may hear. Give us thoughts and feelings that reflect that of heaven. We pray this in the name of Jesus. And we claim the merits of his holy and most precious blood. Amen. This morning we're going to be dealing with the subject matter as it was in the days of Noah. As it was in the days of Noah. But before we go there, I want you to go to Ecclesiastes 1 in verse 9. And I'm going to share with you a scripture song. It's a scripture song that was taught to me by a new believer. We were doing Bible studies together, and I told him to go home and memorize this passage. And he came back with a song. And I said, oh, I love that song. I'm going to share that song. This song should be in the hearts of all God's people. It says, The thing that hath been, it is that which shall be. 
And that which is done is that which shall be done. And there is no new thing under the sun. The thing that hath been, it is that which shall be. The thing that hath been, it is that which shall be. And that which is done is that which shall be done. And there is no new thing under the sun. The thing that hath been, it is that which shall be. What does that mean? The thing that hath been, tell me, hath been. Is that past, present, or future? Hath been. The thing that hath passed, that which shall be. Shall be is that past, present, or future. So the thing that hath been is that which shall be. That which is past is that which is going to take place in the future. And that which is done, is that past, present, or future? Oh, we're a little confused on that one. Well, that's present. That which is done is that which already hath been done, and God requireth that which is what? Pass. Ecclesiastes 3, verse 15. Notice here what the Bible says. Ecclesiastes 3 and verse 15. The Bible says, That which hath been is now, and that which is to be hath already been, and God requires what? So God requires that which is past. Now go with me now to the book of Revelation. Revelation, the first chapter. Revelation, the first chapter. And we're going to look at verse number 8. Revelation, the first chapter, we're beginning at verse number 8. And notice here, again, what the Bible says. The Bible says, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the what? And say of the Lord, which is, which is, is that past, present, or future? That's present. And which was, is that past, present, or future? And which is to come, is that past, present, or future? So let me explain something to you right off the bat. When we're talking about what's happening in the past, we're really looking at the hand of God in the plan of salvation. When we look at Noah and we're looking at what God does in the life of Noah and those that are going to get on board, we're really looking at what God plans to do in these last days. If you don't believe me, I think you'll believe Jesus. Go to Luke chapter 17. Jesus used this very principle in Luke chapter 17, beginning at verse 26. Luke 17, beginning at verse... 26, and notice here what the Bible says, and you see it right there on the screen, you have your Bibles open. The Bible says, and as it was in the days of who? Noah. So that which is past, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. Do you see it there? You see, Jesus used the very principle that I just shared with you. Jesus says, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. So what we're going to do, we're going to examine the days of Noah. We're going to look carefully at the days of Noah, and we're going to find a solution to the home problem. And go with me now to Genesis, Genesis, the sixth chapter. Genesis, 
the sixth chapter. We're going to begin reading at verse number one. Genesis six, verse one. The Bible says, and it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born unto them. That the sons of God, the sons of who? The sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair, and they took them wives, all of which they chose. We can pause there, right there. The sons of men saw the daughters of God. Now, who are the sons of men? Go to Genesis chapter chapter 4, chapter 5. Genesis chapter 5, then jump into Genesis chapter 4 and look at verse 19. Genesis chapter 4, and begin at verse 19. These are here mentioned a few of the sons of men. The Bible says, And Lamech took unto him two wives. The name of the one was Ada, and the name of the other Zelah, and Ada bare Jebel. He was the father of such that dwelt in tents, and such as have cattle. And his brother's name was Jubal, which was the father of all, such as handle the harp and organ. And Zillah, she also bare Tubal-Cain, an instructor of artifice in brass and iron. And the sister of Tubal-Cain was Nama. And Lamech said unto his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice, ye wises Lamech. Hearken unto my speech, for I have slain a man to my wound and a young man to my hurt. If Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, truly, Lamech, seventy and what? Now, whose line is this? Whose, whose, whose lineage is this following after? This is the lineage of who? It's a lineage of Cain. These are the sons of men. The sons of men have beautiful daughters. You're not paying attention to me right now. The sons of Cain, when you looked at the, the daughters of Cain, when you looked at the daughters of men, they were fair. I wonder how they painted themselves to make them look fair. I wonder how they bejeweled themselves to make them look Fair. See, the sons of God saw something. You see, it makes no sense to me, at least as I'm studying the Bible, what would be the difference between the daughters of men and the daughters of God? What would be the difference between the two? It must have been how they looked, how they dressed themselves. Is that right? How they, how they wooed the brothers and how they brought the brothers over. There's something about the daughters of men that attracted the sons of God. Are you listening to me? Pay attention. There's something about this union that causes problems. In fact, notice here, the first issue that I see as I'm going through Genesis, the sixth chapter, the first issue that I see and I'm highlighting before you is that the sons of God took wives of the daughters of men. They, of all that they what? That they chose. Well, that's interesting. You mean they selected their own spouse? How did they do it? What was their mechanism by making the decision? Oh, he's tall, dark, and handsome. Huh? She's beautiful. She's so voluptuous. She has a wonderful singing voice. Oh, he's a great preacher. They took all that they chose. Well, that's a problem, friends. That's a big problem. In fact, I want you to see something in the book of Proverbs. Go to the book of Proverbs, and we're going to study together. The book of Proverbs, notice here what the Bible says in the book of Proverbs. 31st chapter, Proverbs chapter 31, and notice here what the Bible says, because they chose their own spouse. Proverbs 31 verse 10 says, who can find what? Uh, That's a tough question, isn't it? Who can find a virtuous woman for her price is far above 
rubies. The heart of her husband does safely trust in her so that he shall have no need of spoil. She will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. Oh, it's so beautiful. Weddings, somebody's getting married. I think I had, what, six, seven weddings this summer. Six, seven weddings. People getting married one after the other after the other. Everybody looks happy on wedding day. You have uh, 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 important, famous people getting married, divorced 42 days later. Huh? What, what, what is it about finding a virtuous woman, finding someone that can actually be a safe place for a brother to have his heart? This is not safe. You know, I, I, I've, I've in my mind made up in my mind that sometimes something beautiful can be really dangerous. Are you listening to me, brothers? I'm, I'm trying to give you warning. Something beautiful, something that looks nice, something that sings well, something that, that sounds really good is often most dangerous. In fact, I found that those who select based on what they see with their eyes have a dark cloud that passes over their home for the rest of their lives. I, f I find that amazing where, where people are not ready to be married, but everybody's so happy to be married, but over 50% of homes end in divorce. And uh, think about this for a second. Think about this. 50% of homes end in divorce, but then there are people that are still married that hate each other. People still live in the same house, but they live and sleep in different rooms. People can't even eat dinner together without arguing with each other. But they didn't start all that way. If, they, if it had started that way, they would have never gotten married. Is that right? If it, if it was the, if God had said, hey, look, don't do it. If this is everything that's going to transpire, you would have said, thank you, Lord, I won't do it. But the Lord has done something for us. He's given us specific instruction. Are you listening to me? And because we are going by what we see instead of what God declares, we find ourselves in a mess. I want you to hear me. They chose their own spouse. I wonder where you find the good spouse. I wonder where you find the one that God designs for your life. I like how the Bible has answers for us. Proverbs 19, 14 says, House and riches are an inheritance of fathers, and a prudent wife is of what? So if you are a brother and you're looking for a spouse or if you're a sister and you're looking for someone to be near to you and love you and to hold you and so forth and so on, where you need to look is not out here. Somebody came here looking for someone to get married to. You're in the wrong place. You're looking in the wrong place. Where should you look? The Lord. I remember being at Oakwood College and, you know, everybody thinks they're supposed to get married when they go to college. And I remember walking, I remember walking by the women's dormitory, and I'm thinking, man, I wonder if my wife's in there. <laughs> I mean, don't you have thoughts like that? You're single, you want to know, right? So I'm walking by, and I'm thinking, and an impression comes to my mind. Your wife is not on this campus. Really? My wife's not on the campus. Do you know what happened from that point forward? I didn't even look anymore. Are you listening to me? Didn't even look. Your wife is not on this campus. Clear instruction. No more. Not looking. Beautiful girl come talk. Hey, Andre, how you doing? Can I get you? Nope. 
No. Why? What's happening? Because that's not sent from God. That's someone else being sent to me in order to do what? It's a distraction. See, I want to go to God. I need God to instruct me of who I should be in oneness with. See, he knows me best. Is that right? He was there and he formed me in the womb. He knows who it is that is supposed to be by my side to go through the wars that I go through every single solitary week. No ordinary girl will do. You have specific, specific instruction. You have specific trials. You have a particular task that God wants you to do in this earth. And if you choose your own spouse, you can be off track. Did you hear me? I've seen it. I've seen better preachers than me stand and preach gospel and they choose their own and they no longer preach today. What I'm saying to you is not a game. They chose wise of all that they thought was good. Back in, back in Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6. And I put that extra verse up there in Genesis chapter 2 so you can go back. Did God select Eve for Adam? Did, did he do it? Yes, he did. He formed her based off of his own DNA. He designed her particularly for him to be his helpmeet. Are you following the idea? But I, I wanted to highlight another point. We're in Genesis 6, and I want you to see something. In Genesis 6, we're going to continue to read, and notice what the Bible says in Genesis 6, beginning at verse 2. It says that the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair, and they took them wise of all that they chose. And the Lord said, my spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be what? Now, this is interesting, interesting, always interesting. Look at the prophetic numbers in the Bible. Anytime the numbers are put into Scripture, understand that God is doing a probationary investigative processes here. It's 120 years. There's an investigation. God is looking. He's going to see whether or not this is going to be a group of people that he can demonstrate his power to save in. Now, think about this. After the end of 120 years, who does he find? One family. You're not listening. 120 years, God goes through and he says, can I find anybody who will follow my instruction? And there's only one family with a man that fears God. And that one family, God says, now I'm going to go and give special instruction. But my spirit will not always strive with flesh. Now, I'm going to ask you a question. This is a basic question. You have the answer. I know you do. You're wonderful Bible scholars and logical people. Are you made of flesh? Think about the idea. The thing that I've been is that which shall be. That which is done is that which shall be done. And there's no new thing under the sun. So you have flesh. I have flesh. Does God have a limit? So there's a point in which God says, I will not always strive and fight with you to give you my heart. I, do, I will not always do it. There is a point in which God says, give me your heart now. Yield to my instruction now. Yield to my call now. He won't always do it. He won't always strive with flesh. And please keep this in mind. He makes this statement after the union of that which was religiously pure and that which was religiously profane. Did you hear me? 
He made this statement after that which was sacred was mixed with the profane. And he says, when this union of the two come together, I will not always strive with flesh. They have 120 years. Keep it in mind. We're studying right now. Genesis 6 goes on to say, verse 4, it says, There were giants in the earth in those days. And also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, and they bare children to them. Did you hear that? The same became mighty men, which were of old, men of renown. So these people became famous. They were powerful. But I want you to see something. You see, I put point number two up here because, again, what happened in the days of Noah will happen in these days. You see here, children were born to this illicit union. Now, why is this a problem? Why is it a problem when two people come together and they don't believe the same thing? Why is it a problem when two people come together, and I'm not just talking about don't believe the same thing because they are Baptists and they're Adventists. That's not what I'm talking about only. They can be the, not believe the same thing and they're both Adventists. Did you hear what I said? You see, the times in which we live, there's a time in which we live right now. We are not in the outer court experience. We are not in the holy place experience. We are in the what? We are in the what? We are in the most holy place experience. And those people who are getting married in these last days need to have their experience in the most holy place experience. You marry somebody, they need to understand the most holy place. Do you marry somebody, they need to understand what Jesus is doing in the heavenly sanctuary right now. Jesus is removing sin. Did you hear me? He's removing what? Now you must understand, sin is the main problem of why homes are broken. You see, if you're going to get married today, you don't want to marry any old body. You don't want to marry somebody in the holy place or the outer court. You want to marry somebody that has an experience in the most holy place who understands what Jesus is doing for a fallen people. You want to do that? I speak to you plainly because some of you who understand, I, I, I have the reality in my mind. You see, I went to school with people who understood what I'm telling you. I went to, I've been in canvassing programs. Huh? I've been to churches and preached all over, and I know somebody's listening to me and think they have more time. They think I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to you. You're going to mess up your life. Be ye not unequally yoked with unbelievers, even within Adventism. Jesus is about to come and he's going to prepare people as it was in the days of Noah. So shall it be also in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. There is a preparation and we need to examine ourselves. Now, what happens when they had children? Please notice, and this is a principle that I just want you to see as we go and look at a couple of verses. Go to Ezra, the ninth chapter. Ezra, Ezra, Nehemiah, you know, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job. All right, Ezra, chapter 9. And watch carefully. You see, when I'm looking at Scripture, I'm looking for a principle. You see, a principle that I can glean from this passage, and I'm seeing that there's a union and there are children born. What is the importance here? Look in Ezra chapter 9. Look at verse 1. Notice here what the Bible says. It says, Now when these things were done, the princes came to me, saying, The people of Israel and the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the people of the lands. Do you hear that? 
doing according to their abominations, even the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Jebusites and the Ammonites and the Moabites, the Egyptians and the Amorites, for they have taken, what have they taken? For they have taken of their daughters for themselves and for their sons so that the holy seed mingle with themselves with the people of those lands. Yea, the hand of the princes and the rulers have been chief in the trespasses. Did you see that? They have been chief in it. They have been the main ones. The rulers and the chief have been chief in mixing two together that should not be together. They have been intermingling with the people of the world and bringing those principles into the church. Who's been chief in it? Well, the priests and the rulers have been chief in it. And when the rulers and priests have been chief in it, the people follow suits. Are you listening to me? But notice here what else the Bible says. Watch this. Verse 3. Now watch the reaction of Ezra. You see, we don't react like Ezra because we don't understand the import of what it means not to be unequally yoked. But look at verse 4. It says, verse 3, And when I heard these things, I rent my garment and my mantle and plucked off the hair of my head and my beard and sat down astonished. Then were assembled unto me every one that trembled at the words of God of Israel because of the transgression of those that had been carried away. And I said, Astonished until the evening sacrifice. Watch verse 5. And at the evening sacrifice, I rose up from my heaviness, and having rent my garments and my mantle, I fell upon my knees and spread out my hands unto the Lord my God and said, Oh my God, I am ashamed. And I blush to lift up my face to thee, my God, for our iniquities are increased over our heads, and the trespass has gone up into what? You see his reaction? Oh, we don't react like that today. You know what we say? Well, see, I know so-and-so, and this seemed like they worked out for them. What, you know what I call that? A trap. Because what's happening is, it doesn't work out for everybody. God in his mercy may weak out ignorance. But I tell you the truth, blatant rebellion, God does not wink at. Did you hear what I said? In fact, let's go a little further. Go to Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 13. Nehemiah chapter 13. Watch carefully. Nehemiah chapter 13. Notice here what the Bible says. Nehemiah chapter 13, beginning at verse 23. The Bible says, in those days also saw I Jews. Saw I what? I'm going to replace the word Jews with Adventists. Are you ready? In those days also I saw Adventists that had married the wives of Babylon, or Ashdod, of Ammon and of Moab, and their children spake half in the language of Ashdod and could not speak in the Adventist language. Did you see that? They couldn't speak it. So I asked somebody, what's the three angels' message? They thought, huh? Three Three angels? I said, what's the significance of the sanctuary? Sanctuary? Sanctuary. You mean that, that tent thing they had back out there? I said, what's the state of the dead? Teach me from the Bible the state of the dead. State of the dead. My wife and I went to churches. We've been traveling churches for years. We'll go to a church and we do an evangelism training program, and I'll say, give me 10 texts on the Sabbath. 10 texts from your mind. You know, it took, you took, it took the Advent people 20 minutes with my help, on average, ask my wife, with my help, give me a Sabbath text, um, um, Exodus 20, and that's it. Give me a set of the dead. 
I know it's somewhere in Ecclesiastes. Half in the language of Ashdod and could not speak the Advent language. I say, what's the significance of the most holy place? Somebody says, well, Jesus is, is um, he's cleansing from sin. What does that mean? Tell me, what does it mean? What does it mean that he's in heaven cleansing from sin? What does that mean to you practically today? What does that mean on a practical level when you're in your kitchen and you're making your food? What does it mean that he's in the most holy place cleansing it from sin? What does that mean with how you raise your children? What does that mean? You see, we don't know what it means. It's a theory, an intellectual ascent to information, but our hearts are far from the reality of the gospel being seared into our hearts and minds. So they had children, great men, great intellect, rulers and teachers in the land, but they had no idea about God. They had no idea about God's requirements, what God desires for them. So we're here on planet Earth. 167 years after he moved into the most holy place, still counting, and I'm telling you, we're here too long. I'll pause here to make an announcement. We're here because we love Satan more than we love Jesus. Did you hear what I said? We're here because we love Satan. Why am I preaching? You know in heaven there will be no preachers. There will be no one saying, know the Lord. You know why I have to preach? Because somebody in this room doesn't know him. In a lost condition. Somebody doesn't know Jesus. So a man must stand up here and preach. It's not a game. We get up and we're done. And, and when we're done, everybody's just talking and talking as if God doesn't come into this place. We don't understand. Know you not that to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey. His servants you are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or obedience unto righteousness, Romans 6.16. Don't tell me you love Jesus and still do what you want to do when you want to do it, how you want to do it. Don't let nobody tell you what to do. Don't tell me you love Jesus when you do that. He doesn't believe that. But Jesus is having a problem. There are children and are born into the Advent people have no idea who we are. But in fact, let's go to Psalms 106. Watch this now. Psalms 106. Psalms 106. Watch carefully the passage. Psalms 106, starting at verse 34. Watch carefully the passage, friends. The Bible says, they did not destroy the nations concerning whom the Lord commanded them, but were mingled among the heathen and learned their what? In other words, they were educated by Babylon instead of educating Babylon. They learned their works, goes on to say, and they served their idols which were a snare unto them. Yea, they sacrificed their sons and their daughters unto devils and shed innocent blood, even the blood of their sons and their daughters, whom they sacrificed unto the idols of Canaan. And the land was polluted with blood violence. Now, I ask you a question. Now, many of you don't take your children to Moloch and have an altar and take a knife and kill. Is that right? You don't do that. Is that right? 
what, what would be the type of that today? Well, the type of that would be very simple. If I go to a school, an institution, listen to me. If I go to an institution, I don't care if they put the name Adventist on it. I don't care if they put the name Baptist on it. I don't care if they put the name Christian on it. But if you go to an, any institution that teaches worldly philosophy and religion together, that's Babylon. Did you hear what I said? You can't take the world and bring it in. Now, if you're understanding science and you're doing all these different things, fine. But there's a, I understand that there's a teaching now where you don't even believe the first 11 books of the Bible, the first 11 chapters of Genesis. Don't believe in creation. Well, that's science so falsely so-called. You understand the idea? But if you're going and you want to study true education and you want to go in nature and you want to understand the science of how things work, fine, brothers and sisters. But don't bring that stuff into the church that is false and purely from Babylon, from Socrates, and from Plato, and Origen, and Clement. We don't need it! We're not going to finish the work that way. You see, we've been borrowing from these pagans and bringing paganism into God's people, and that's why we are still here. Are you listening to me? I know what I'm saying. It doesn't, I, I know what I'm saying may or may not make sense, but I'm trying to help you understand that if we don't get this stuff out of our homes, we're talking about more chaos. But wait, there's more. Notice what else the Bible says. Verse 39, it says, Thus they defiled with their own works and went a whoring with their own what? With their own inventions? You mean with their own creation? So we come up with a combination of Willow Creek and Adventism and bring it and blend it together. Is that going to work? It's not going to work. It's not going to work. Now, what if I take the principles and teachings of, of how to have a family and I take um, um, philosophies from origin and, and Socrates and Plato and bring it into how to raise my children. Would that work? No. I'm only got this side. This side is no. What about this side? Is that, would that work? No. All right. I just want to make sure you're together with me. I mean, if you're going to kill me, kill me later. But the answer is no. We can't do it. I'm not going to put my daughter in front of VeggieTales to teach her how to stand true in the time of trouble that is coming upon this world. Not going to do it. VeggieTales has nothing compared to the Bible. Notice now, I want to share something with you. I want you to see what I see. Look at Daniel chapter 2 for a moment, please. Daniel chapter 2. I want you to see this. In Daniel chapter 2, look at verse 41. I want you to see something because there's an imagery that is used here in Daniel chapter 2 that we need to pay attention to. In Daniel chapter 2, beginning at verse 41, the Bible says, it says, And whereas thou sawest the feet and toes, part of potter's clay and part of iron, the kingdom shall be divided, but there shall be in it of the strength of iron, for as much as thou sawest the iron mixed with miry clay. And as the toes of the feet were part of iron and part of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly broken. 
And where else thou sawest the iron mixed with mire clay, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of what? But they shall not cleave one to another, even as iron is not mixed with miry clay. So I'm going to put this on the screen. I'm going to go fast with this because I think it's just something you need to be aware of. The iron is always, in, the, in this passage, the iron is the legs of Rome. Is that right? The legs of Rome. Now, Rome, pagan Rome, goes now into the feet of iron and clay. It's a secular power. Does everybody understand the idea? When I, when I say secular, I don't mean that they didn't believe in some mythology or some god of some sort. But it's not God's power. It's not Christian. But now I'm going to put something on the other side. And then, again, this is dealing with a misconception that many of us have in regards to this image. The clay. What is the clay? Don't tell me. We're going to go to the Bible. Is that okay? Let's go to the Bible. We're going to look in Jeremiah chapter 18. Jeremiah chapter 18. Remember, we're still on this point in which they had children. And out of this union was brought something that was unacceptable to God. Jeremiah chapter 18, and look at verse number 4. Jeremiah chapter 18, and we're going to start reading at verse number 4. Notice here what the Bible says. The Bible says, and the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hands of the potter. So he made it again another vessel and seemed good to the potter to make it. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, Cannot I do with you as this potter, saith the Lord? Behold, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are ye in my hand, O house of what? So in this passage, what is the house of Israel likened unto? Likened to clay. Go with me now to the book of Isaiah chapter 64. Isaiah 64. Isaiah 64. And we're beginning at verse number eight. Again, just highlighting this idea, what this clay represents. Isaiah 64, beginning at verse eight, it says, Now, O Lord, thou art our father, we are the clay, thou art potter, and we are all the work of thy hand. Again, the church is being equated to clay, being molded and moved by the potter himself. Go to Romans 9, Romans 9 now. Romans chapter 9. If you write these down, you'll be all right. Romans chapter 9, and beginning at verse 19. Romans 9, and beginning at verse 19. Please notice here what the Bible says. The Bible says, Thou wilt say unto me, Why doth he yet find fault? For who hath resisted his will? Nay, but, O man, who art thou that replies against God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? Hath not the potter power over the clay and of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and to another dishonor? What if God, willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction, and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy which he had afore prepared unto glory? Even us, whom he hath called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles, as he saith in Hosea, I call them my people which were not my people, and her beloved which was not my beloved. And it shall come to pass that in the place where it was said unto them, ye are my people, that they shall be called the children of who? So here, Paul uses the same language that we find in Isaiah and Jeremiah 
to equate the people of God in his time as clay. So when we're looking at this feet of iron and clay, we're really looking at a union of a church with a state. Are you listening to me? But please go back to Daniel for a moment, and I'm going to explain to you why this is so important. Ezekiel, Daniel, go back to Daniel. Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2. Notice here what the Bible says. Look at verse 43. It says, And whereas thou sirest iron mixed with miry clay, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men. They shall not cleave one to the other. Now, what's that word cleave? What's that word? Where's that word cleave first mentioned in Scripture? Where's it first mentioned? Genesis. When a man shall leave his father and his what? And then they shall what? Cleave one to the other, and the two shall be what? One flesh. Now, do you see, and I, I, just, I just want you to see the imagery. God purposely uses language that is intimate of marriage in Daniel chapter 2 to describe the last generation that will be upon the earth foundationally as if marriage were the foundation of the problem. Do you see it there? He uses the word cleave. He uses the, the words mingle. This is not talking about the European kings marrying each other and getting all, no, that's not what it's talking about. This is talking about church and state. It's talking about those who claim to be righteous and those who are unholy mingling together. And in Daniel chapter 2, listen to me. Once the holy and the unholy mingle together, what is the next thing you see in this vision? A rock cut out without hand. Are you listening to me? The next thing you see, when the sacred and profane mingle together, there's a rock cut out without hands, and it smashes the foundation of the image, and God sets up a new kingdom. Now, I say that as an as a, as a interesting point, not as my main point. I want to pass this. Save me a little time. I wanted to go to Joshua. And again, I'm highlighting this principle of what God does when the two come together. Joshua 23, verse 11. Watch again the principle. The son, the children, out of this illicit union, the seed are mingling together. God sends judgment right away. Look at this. Joshua 23, verse 11. It says, take good heed, therefore, unto yourselves that ye love the Lord your God. Take heed. Else, if ye do in any wise go back and do what? And do what? Cleave unto the remnant of these nations, even these that remain among you, and shall make marriages with them, and go in unto them, and they to you know for certainty. What does that mean? It's going to happen for sure. So know for certainty. Know for certainty what? Watch what it says. Know for certainty that the Lord your God will no more drive out any of these nations from before you, but they shall be snares and traps unto you and scourges in your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish from off the good land which the Lord your God have what? Do you see it, friends? This is no small thing. The union of the sacred with the profane. When you claim that you love Jesus and he is the center of your life and some handsome fellow comes in and you just say, ooh, I can convert him. He's a nice guy. Know that there's a scourge going to be on you. 
And it's not a scourge that God from heaven says, send the scourge. The issue is, if God can't be in the house, your house is left desolate. If God is not in the home, there's no way that you can have peace in that home. Now watch this. Here's a temperature gauge. If you got up this morning and you argue with your wife, just know Jesus stepped out of the room for the time. You can't argue with your wife and Jesus be in the room. You can't disrespect your children and Jesus be in the midst of that. We can't be done. So you engage it. Are you being kind, gentle, loving? Are you taking out the trash? That's not a small thing. Are you washing dishes? Are you opening the door for your wife? These small things, they look small, they look inconsequential, but these things are a reflection of whether or not you've been with Jesus. Because you know if Jesus is here, he'll open the door for your wife. If, if Jesus was in the room, you know Jesus would take the towel and start washing the dishes. He wouldn't walk in and say, woman, I've been working all day, what's wrong with you? <laughs> right? Now, he might have a conversation later. Sweetie Pie, is there anything I could do to assist you? He might do that. I'll tell you, friends, the wife that you have, the husband that you have, doesn't belong to you. It came from God. Now, someone says, well, I don't think my husband came from God. <laughs> now, you're laughing. That's not funny. I've had people come to me directly, Brother Andre, I don't love my husband anymore. And they said to me, Andre, I don't love my husband anymore. Does God want me to stay with someone that I don't love? Well, how do you answer that? I haven't been married that long, right? How, how do you answer that? Someone is really serious. I don't love him. And you know that if you answer that question wrong, they will walk away and they will leave their children and their husband to go do what they want to do. What do you do? What do you say? What happens when love no longer is in the home? I tell you what, right now we're dealing with the foundation, the husband and wife. Don't choose the one that you want to choose. Let God do what? I think you got the point. Don't choose who you want to choose. Let God choose for you. But there's more. And notice what the Bible says in Genesis chapter 6. Go back there with me. Genesis chapter 6. Time is fleeting from me. Genesis chapter 6. Watch carefully now. In Genesis chapter 6, notice here what the Bible says. Beginning at verse number 5. The Bible says, And God saw the wickedness of man, that it was great in the earth, and that every imagination of his thoughts, of his heart, was only evil. How often? And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth. Now, I never understood what that verse meant until this week. Never. I didn't understand what it means that it repented the Lord, that he had made them. It's almost as if, and listen to me, I have a friend. You know, you bring people close to you. Are you listening to me? You start a school, you bring people close, you pick them off the street, you don't have to, you don't have to do nothing special, just come. I'll teach you how to be a Christian. I'll show you how to walk the ways of righteousness. I'll, I'll do what I have to do to get you to the place. And if that person turns their back on you and stabs you in the back, it grieves me that I even started a school. Did you hear me? 
It grieves me. It grieves me. And I'm thinking, oh, if my child, my daughter, she's only five years old. What if she, what if she one day says, Andre, Daddy, uh, I know she's not going to say it. I know she's not going to say it. But one day she says, Daddy, I don't believe in Jesus. I don't believe in the sacrifice of Jesus. I don't believe in the sanctuary. I think you're crazy. I think mommy's crazy. Do you know what it would be? It would be grieved. It would have grieved my heart that I would have even brought her into the world. Are you listening to me? Do you understand the pain? God is in heaven. He creates men for his, 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 his communion. And mankind itself says, we don't want you. And today in this room, someone's saying this. Even though they hear exactly what I'm saying, they understand exactly what I'm saying, and they say, not right now, God. It grieves his heart. He saw that the imaginations of their heart was only evil continually. Now watch this. Jump down to verse number 11. The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with what? And God looked upon the earth, and he, behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth, and God said unto Noah... The end of all flesh is come before me, for the earth is filled with violence from them, and behold, I will destroy them from off the earth. Now what we're going to do, we're going to go back in time very quickly. And as we go there, I want your mind to go there, and we're going to trace this principle all the way back to Noah and into our time. So go to Ezekiel, the 28th chapter, very quickly, please. Ezekiel, the 28th chapter. Watch carefully. Ezekiel, the 28th chapter, and we're looking at verse number 12. Watch carefully. Ezekiel 28, verse 12, the Bible says, Son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God, Thou sealest up the sum full of what? Full of what? Think about this. Full of wisdom and perfect in... Jump down to verse number 16. Remember, he's full of wisdom. Verse 16 says, By the multitude of thy merchandise, they have filled the midst of thee with what? Now remember, in Genesis chapter 6, it says that the whole earth was full of violence. And here in Ezekiel 28, it says that he was first full of wisdom, but now he's full of... What is it that made him full of violence? Look again at the verse, verse 16. By the multitude of thy merchandise... By the multitude of thy what? They have filled the midst of thee of violence. Let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. Who gave him his merchandise? That's right. Look at, look at what it says. Look at, verse, look at verse number 13. Verse number 13. God does it. It says, Thou hast been in eating the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering, the sardis, the topaz, and the diamond, the burl, the onyx. The jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, and the carbuncle, and the gold, the workmanship of thy taverns and of thy pipes was prepared in thee the day that thou was what? Who created it? So God gave him his merchandise. And what Lucifer begins to do, he begins to worship the blessings instead of the God of the blessings. Listen to me, church. Listen to me. He begins to worship the blessings of God. Instead of worshiping the God of the blessings. So now when you see in Genesis chapter 6 that the earth is full of violence, it's telling you that the world began to worship that which was created instead of worshiping the creator. But wait, there's more. Go to John, the 8th chapter. 
Now, the word violence, when I first think of the word violence, I think of a, a guy with an Uzi or a gun. I think of a, a sword or a, a, some type of spear, some type of weapon. Is that right? That's the first thing that comes to my mind. But I want you to see something. Look at John chapter 8. Look at verse 44. Notice here what the Bible says. I actually have it here on the screen. It says, ye are of your father, what? And the lust of your father ye will do. He was a what? A murderer from when? Wait a second. I'm, when I first read this verse, I was confused. What do you mean he was a murderer from the beginning? I don't remember him murdering anybody in heaven. It says that he was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. Is that right? Now, wait. Now, in Revelation chapter 12, you have this dragon, and he takes one-third of the stars down with his what? With his tail. Now, in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 15, it says, The ancient and honorable, he is the head, and the prophet that teaches lies, he is the what? Watch carefully what we're going to do. I need you to put your biblical mathematics on, all right? Here we go. 1 John 3.15 says, Whosoever hated his brother is a what? Are you thinking with me yet? Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding where? In him. All right, watch this now. Lucifer was a murderer from the beginning. My question is, how do I know that Lucifer actually hated God? Watch. I want you now to go to the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs. Proverbs, the 18th chapter. How do I know Lucifer hated God? And it's not something that we made up, right? Proverbs, the 18th chapter, beginning at verse 8. Proverbs 18, verse 8. Please notice here what the Bible says. The Bible says, the words of a talebearer. Some of you have uh, New King James. It might say the words of a whisperer. Are you paying attention? The words of a talebearer are as wounds, and they go down to the innermost parts of the what? In other words, they make you sick. I thought about this. This week was probably one of the worst weeks of my life. And as I heard the news that came to me, I literally could not eat because the words were so horrible in my heart. The pain was so hard, I couldn't, I couldn't eat. I couldn't even chew a piece of food. I, it, it couldn't go down. My friend had betrayed my trust. Couldn't eat. Couldn't eat. The words of a terrible are as wounds. They go down into the innermost parts. Now watch this now, Proverbs 26. Go to Proverbs 26. Now you be careful now, because when we read this verse, you're going to be responsible. Proverbs 26, beginning at verse 24. Notice here what the Bible says. It says, He that hateth dissembleth with his lips, and layeth up deceit within him. When he speaketh fair, believe him not, for there are seven abominations in his heart. Now, please keep in mind, he that hateth dissembleth. In other words, he hides, he cloaks. Verse 26, whose hatred is covered by what? His wickedness shall be shewed before the whole congregation. Whoso diggeth a pit shall fall therein, and 
he that rolleth a stone, it will return upon him. Watch this. A lying tongue hateth those that are afflicted by it. Did you hear that? How do I know Lucifer hated God? Because when he was in heaven, he lied about God's character. Are you listening to me? He lied about God's character. And let me tell you something. Many of us in this room hate God too. You name the name Seventh-day Adventist, but you are not an Adventist. You name the name, but you in reality, your home does not reflect that you love Jesus. People look at the home and say, hey, I don't want nothing to do with that church. They go to the hospital. Oh, that hospital, they say they're Adventists. But they don't want nothing to do with that hospital. Well, why? Why is that? Why are they saying that? Because they don't see the fruits of Jesus in the place. So God is hurt. He's blasphemed. In fact, let me just put it, make it more clear. You see here, from the beginning, the Bible says that Lucifer was a murderer and he was the father of lies. Again, I'm just making it plain. Because if you're talking about somebody behind their back, if you think it's cute to gossip behind someone's back, you are actually a destroyer and you're like Dan. And you know Dan? Dan and 144,000, not listed. Backbiters in the church are not going to heaven. It is the worst, one of the worst offenses. If you catch your brother in sin, what do you do? Oh, guess what I saw? Guess who I saw over there? Is that what you do? How long will your family stay together if your husband is doing something wrong and you call your mother to tell on your husband? How long will your family stay together? It won't last. You see, backbiters, whisperers, gossipers, not going in. I don't care if you think you call yourself present truth and calling out the sins of the church. If that's all you talk about and you don't have Jesus on your lips, you are a gossiper and a backbiter and an accuser of the brethren. Not going in. Hate leads to murder. And if you lie, you hate. Therefore, a liar hates. He's a murderer, plain and simple. How many people have you murdered? How many conferences have you murdered? How many preachers have you murdered? How many friends have you murdered? What is wrong with our mouths? You know what the Bible says? Out of the abundance of our heart, the mouth what? Our homes are destroyed because we don't know what to do with our mouths. We think it's funny. It's not funny to, to joke and call your wife names. It's not funny. It's not funny to call her fat. Did you hear what I said? That's not, it's, I just said it wasn't funny. People do this. It's not funny. It's not funny to call your children dumb. It's not funny. It's not funny to call them stupid. It's not funny. Never amount to anything good. It's not funny, friends. We're destroying our homes and our families because our tongues are not reined in by the Spirit of Christ. As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it also be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. How many want to go home to Jesus? You want to go home to Jesus? We have to follow instructions. We have to follow instructions. 
I'm going to have to pass some of these things. My time is up. The Bible says Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, and he moved with fear. In fact, go to Hebrews 11, verse 7, and we'll begin to wrap this up. Hebrews 11, verse 7. And listen to me, friends. We're going to talk about how to build an ark. Hebrews 11, verse 7. The Bible says, by faith. I like that word. By faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not yet seen, moved with fear. Moved with what? When I looked that word fear up, it meant reverence. It meant a, a trepidation. He knew something was coming, and he began to reorganize his life to fit what God told him. He moved with fear, the Bible says, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, prepared an ark for the saving of his what? By which he condemned the world and became the heir of righteousness, which is by faith. I want you to see this. What does ark mean? Ark means a place or thing offering shelter, protection or refuge. That's what ark means. I looked it up, and the dictionary says a boat built for Noah and several uh, survival for the flood. Then I said, what does a home mean? I looked it up. It's in the dictionary. Watch this. What is a home? A house or apartment of which shelter or other shelter that is the usual residence of a person or family. Watch this, though. A dwelling place or retreat for an animal. But wait, there's more. Any place of residence or what? Is your home a refuge? The same words that we use to describe the ark as a place of refuge. Is your home a refuge? Where violence is not in the home? Where anger is not in the home? Where love is in the home, where Jesus is the center of that home, is that your home today, friend? I like this. I was reading for the penetration. She says, God was the designer and Noah the master builder. It was constructed, talking about the ark, like the hull of a ship. Watch this, though. That it might float upon the water, but in some respects, it more nearly resembled a what? The ark resembled a house? You mean as he was building, it was a symbol of a home. And he says that when Noah built this home, it was a reproof to the world that Jesus was about to come. You're not listening to me. You see, when we build the home and we build this ark, every strike of the hammer is telling the world Jesus is about to come. See, our homes don't reflect the reality. We say with our mouth, we believe the three angels, but we practice as if we're going to be here another 150 years. Do you believe Jesus can come in this generation? Yes. Well, if you believe it, friends, you need to start building your homes like it is. Yes. Every action, even the furniture you put in your house, the food you put on your table, the time you have for worship, the time you spend in prayer, the way you teach your children, Naisha knows we're living in the last hour. I tell her every day, girl, when you're, if your mommy and daddy get taken from you, I tell her, we prepare. When your mom and dad get taken away, when your daddy gets taken away, for sure, because he talks. When he's taken away, be faithful, Naisha. Five years old, be faithful, Naisha. 
Get ready for what's about to come upon the world as an overwhelming surprise, and we act like it's not coming. We say we're Adventists. We're not Adventists. Adventists believe Jesus is about to come, and every dollar, every cent is put into the work. Every ounce of time and energy is put into the work. Are you building an ark or are you not? Your home will declare the realities. As my friend comes to sing for us, I want you to examine your home. Examine your heart. Where do you stand with Jesus? As a man of the home, can God give you blueprints to build an ark? Can God send information to you as a mother how to raise your child in these last days? I want you to examine yourself. And ask God to speak to you as my brother sings. The Savior is waiting to enter your heart. Why don't you let him come in? There's nothing in this world to keep you apart. What is your answer to him? Time after time, he is waited before, and to 
speaking to someone's heart right now. I don't know who you are. I'm going to make three appeals. My first appeal. You've heard God speak to your heart this morning. And you want to give God your heart for the first time. For the first time. I'm not talking to everyone. I'm only talking to the one that God is calling you. You want to give God your heart for the first time. I just want you to raise your hand where you are. You want to give your heart to God for the first time. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed. For the first time. You're waiting for the next person to move, or you're waiting for the next person to raise their hand? I'm talking to you. We're not going to have all this freedom, friends. The door is open now, and you know you haven't given Jesus your heart. You know you haven't. You know you have it. Just slip your hand up where you are. I see your hands. God recognizes the fact of that honesty. Is there anyone else? For the first time, you haven't given Jesus all of your heart. You've had a form, you had a fashion. But right now, today, right now, you want Jesus to be the center of your life, the focus of your joy. Is there anyone else? My second appeal. My second appeal is to the men in the home. We need to take our jobs back. We need to get the blueprints from heaven on how to raise and lead our families. If you want that responsibility as the men of your home, just stand where you are. Stand where you are. Amen. Men, we need to take our jobs back. Take your job back. Jesus is saying, take your job back. Take your job back. To the mothers of the home. 
You want to reconsecrate yourself to be a mother preparing your children for the second coming. I'm going to ask you to stand. God sees it, friends. This is not a game. I see a lot of single young people here. If you were covenant with me today to let God choose your spouse, you will covenant today and let God write it on your heart that God will choose my spouse, if that's your choice and your decision, I just ask you to stand. Father, seen those that have given their heart to you again for the first time. You've seen the men that want their jobs back. You've seen the women that have stood to be mothers preparing for the advent of Jesus. And you've seen the young that have stood to say, Lord, choose our spouse for us. Father, our words and our standing mean nothing unless you stand for us and with us. Please help us, Lord. We are far from where we should be. Thank you for hearing and answering our prayers. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.